All right. Uh, thank you, Logerings, and uh, good morning, church. Uh, really excited to be with you guys this morning, although I, I, I'm not sure I'm as excited as the kids are right now watching all the snow falling uh, outside. So it's going to be a fun day for us. My name is Kevin Reikley, uh, one of the elders here at Wayside. And today we're going to be in week two of Hebrews. And really excited to unpack the, the passage that uh, the Logerings just read for us. Um, it's a really critical passage in the scriptures. Uh, so if you would, just grab your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews 1, or if you've got a Bible app, turn there. Uh, it will be there in just a second. But uh, church, before I, I jumped into the, the sermon today, uh, I, on behalf of, of the rest of the elders, felt really compelled to speak uh, on the events that took place in our nation's capital this past week. And I'm sure you guys all saw, saw what, uh, what went on on Wednesday. And it's really hard to even uh, begin to describe the scene. And it's, it's harder, at least for me, probably most of you as well, not to immediately feel an anger and a, and a hatred really start to bubble up within you. And I, it's sort of surreal. It was like a, a scene from a movie. Um, and as I watched the actions that day, I couldn't, I couldn't help but simply feel a, a burden of sadness uh, a sadness for the people that were, that were doing the rioting, um, a sadness for the oppressed and the marginalized people out there that this group stands against, um, sadness for our country, and, and really sadness that Jesus, uh, if, if I'm being honest, hasn't come back yet to rectify uh, scenes like that. Um, and as we discussed at our elder meeting on Friday, this, this isn't what Jesus stood for. Uh, in Matthew 26, when, when Peter, if you guys know the story, he cuts off, when Peter cuts off the ear of the soldier trying to protect Jesus, Jesus immediately rebukes Peter and, and heals the soldier's ear. And Jesus showed us that anger and violence, they're, they're not the answer. And we just saw this in our study of Proverbs. There are multiple verses within Proverbs that talk about anger. Um, I especially like Proverbs 16.32, and that says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. For me personally, the thing that, that was stirring me to anger the most were, were the images of the, the flags that were being, being flown uh, around the Capitol that day. Um, you had Donald Trump flags that proclaim a superior nation. You had Confederate flags that proclaim a superior race and status. Now, those flags, they go directly against the scriptures that tell us that all people are made in the image of God and valuable to him. Now, next to those Confederate, Confederate flags, uh, there were Jesus flags. And as just mentioned, Jesus showed us that anger and violence aren't the answer. Jesus was, was humble and servant-hearted. Matthew 11 says he was gentle and lowly. Jesus came for all people. He wasn't exclusive. And we'll talk about it in the sermon today, but images like this feed into the distortion of who Christ is and really really take away from his supremacy. Uh, so church, just uh, quickly, what do we do? Uh, we pray, as always, we pray. We pray uh, for this to end quickly and peacefully. We pray for our leaders to come to know Jesus if they don't. We pray for the people that were involved in this attack. The other thing we do is we repent. We repent for feelings of anger and rage. We repent for inaction in the face of Jesus's name being distorted, and we repent for wanting immediate justice for, for the people involved in this. Uh, church, last, last Wednesday was a sad day in our nation's history. 
but it doesn't diminish the fact that we have a hope in Jesus that will last beyond the last days of this nation. Uh, his kingdom will not look like this, uh, and until it comes, we're to show Jesus in all circumstances. Um, so if you would just join me for 30 seconds, I want to just pray, pray for our nation before we jump into uh, our time today. Um, Father, Father, we lift up our nation to you. Um, we, ask, we ask for your peace to rule and reign in the hearts of those that are looking to extract justice through violence and insurrection. Uh, please protect those, Lord, that are trying to keep our nation safe. Father, we repent also of anger in our hearts towards these men and women. Uh, give us compassionate hearts and help us to pray for them along with our leaders. Would you bring unity and break down walls that divide us, God? Would your love shine to accomplish your perfect purposes, even through this difficult time? May your spirit move quickly to heal our land. Uh, we pray all these things in the mighty and the healing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, thanks, church. Um, sorry for the little detour, but we really felt it was important to acknowledge and, and comment on those events uh, from last week. And it does tie directly into our passage today. Um, if you guys remember, Ben last week gave an overview of the book of Hebrews, and we're, we're going to be camped out in Hebrews for the next eight months. But a couple important things that he mentioned Hebrews is a sermonic letter exhorting Christians by exalting Christ. And I, I love the way that he phrased that exhorting Christians by exalting Christ. And as background, Ben mentioned that the, the Hebrew Christians were experiencing persecution from the Jews and the Romans, and they were struggling to hold on to their faith. And uh, there's a slide that's going to come up here uh, that Ben showed last week. Uh, it's great. It referenced spiritual drifting. And we see this throughout the, the, the book of Hebrews. Multiple times it talks about spiritual drifting, falling away. Um, and, and really, I think that's during this wearisome time in our world, including the, the events from this past Wednesday, I'm guessing that most of us can relate to this uh, to some degree. And so I would like to think, honestly, that that's, with this backdrop, that's the reason why Hebrews jumps right into the supremacy or exaltation of Jesus Christ. You see, unlike the other letters in the New Testament, we don't see a greeting to the Hebrew Christians. The author really understands the urgency here and get, gets right to the point. And the message for the readers is, is crystal clear from the first sentence. Jesus is better than anything that you have known or are experiencing. Hold on to him and you will experience the fullness of his glory. And uh, when Charles Spurgeon opened this text to his congregation on May 21st, 1882, he simply said, I have nothing to do tonight but to preach Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And really camping out on the person of Jesus for the next 30 minutes or so uh, should be a lot of fun. So I'm excited about that and I look forward to, to jumping into this, this passage with you guys. Uh, but as we start today, you may have picked up from some of my other sermons, I always like to, to pose a question to you to get you sort of in the mindset or thinking as we move through the text. And so uh, today's question is, if you had someone come up to you, say a stranger walked up to you and simply asked you, who is Jesus? What would you say? Uh, so stranger walks up, hey, who's Jesus? Who's this Jesus guy? Think about what you would say back to them. I'm sure you guys have some things rattling around in your head, and, and some of you may be thinking, well, he's our Savior. Others may be thinking he's our King. 
He's our Redeemer. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. And of course, all those things are correct. Uh, but here's what I want to, to focus on today. The name of Jesus and the answer to that question, who is Jesus, has become familiar and has been familiar to most of us for a long time, to the point that our responses are somewhat programmed into our brains like a computer. And so what I hope to do today is challenge all of us on this as we look at the exalted person of Jesus Christ. Uh, but first, a follow-on question um, that I want to ask a little bit more introspective. In that situation, if a stranger walked up to you and said, who is Jesus, would your description of Jesus or your answer to that question make him look so good to someone that they would immediately want to know more about him? So they ask, who is Jesus? You give a response and they go, wow, I really want to know more about who Jesus is. So so, something to think about um, for sure. You'll see where I'm going as we unpack the text today. Uh, But it's important, friends, we're living in an increasingly post-Christian era where the name of Jesus Christ is is familiar, but the name and the beauty of Jesus is being muted and watered down. The name of Jesus is being commercialized, it's being profaned. The teachings of Jesus are being distorted for personal agendas. And we saw this last week in in the attack on the Capitol that I just talked about. And I like a quote by uh, Rebecca Manley Pippert. She wrote a book called uh, Stay Salt. And the quote says, in the West, the challenge comes from living in a post-truth, post-Christian culture that reflects the distortions of post-modernity. And this means we need to deepen our love for Jesus and to discover him with fresh eyes to allow the truth of the gospel to have its full effect in us and to find effective ways to communicate the gospel for such a time as this. Now, what I particularly love about that quote is is about discovering Jesus with fresh eyes. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to focus on Jesus in this sermon, and my prayer is that we will see him with fresh eyes, and that we will continue to see him with fresh eyes every day. We cannot settle for becoming too familiar with who he is. Uh, Another great quote that that talks about the familiarity um, and, and the issues with that Paul Tripp had a great quote from his Come Let Us Adore Him Advent devotional and and really in light of the familiarity with the person and work of Jesus and what that can lead to. And um, hopefully you guys have the, the, the quote up on the screen. And he says, I've thought a lot about the danger of familiarity in our lives as the children of God. And it's good to be familiar with the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are familiar with the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the love of God has been lavished on you. But familiarity often does bad things to us. Often when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them for granted. When we're familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often when we're familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we're familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. And here, here's kind of the kicker. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about that. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way you live. And when other things capture and control my heart, little room remains for wonder and worship. And familiarity often means that what is very important may no longer exercise important influence over us in the way that it should. Now, friends, those are those are pretty sobering words uh, from Paul Tripp. And here's what I want us to focus on today. If we're not careful, the familiarity with who Jesus is and what he has accomplished will rob us of a sense of holy wonder. 
we need to see Jesus with fresh eyes, as, as Pippert mentioned. We need to see Jesus with fresh eyes because wonder produces worship. And wonder-filled worship helps us to persevere in hard times and also stirs us to share Jesus with others. Now, today's passage is going to help rekindle our wonder by showing us how Jesus is both the final word from God and also the greatest word ever imaginable. Uh, So the first thing we see is that Jesus is the final word from God. And if we look at verses 1 and 2, we see, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, in these verses, we can see four different contrasts. First, we see the, the different time periods, long ago versus these last days. Long ago means the time before the last days, but, but what are these last days? That's simply the time from when Jesus was born until he comes back again. So we're actually now currently living in the last days. Uh, we also see the contrast of the audience. Long ago, God was speaking to our fathers. The fathers represent the Hebrew ancestors of the letter's recipients. They were the primary audience of the prophets. But ultimately, long ago and in the last days, God is speaking to all mankind, both Jew and Gentile. Now, next we see that long ago, God spoke at many times and in many ways. And so it's fun here to think about the creativity of God. He spoke to Abram in person. He spoke to Moses from a burning bush. Later, he spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning and with the voice of a trumpet. He spoke to Balaam through his donkey. He spoke to Jacob and Daniel through dreams. Additionally, God spoke in symbols, commandments, warnings, exhortations, visions, signs, parables, storms, plagues, and many other events. Now, the significance of God's creative and diverse communication throughout the ages is that it has demonstrated God's loving desire to communicate with his people. And so think about that. You talk to the people that you love, and God has shown his love for us by the way he has talked to us throughout history. And a couple things uh, quickly about God's communication over time. It was always adequate and relevant for the time and place. It was always progressive, meaning it revealed more of who God is. And it was always in unity with what God previously had said to his people. Now, in these last days, God has spoken at one time and in one way through Jesus Christ. He is the final word from God. So the last contrast we see is who God spoke through. Before these last days, God spoke by the prophets. So important to note here is that this, all all of this, all of the inspired authors were fulfilling a prophetic function, even David and the other psalmists. There were writing prophets like the major and minor prophets, and there were speaking prophets like Elijah and Elisha, who were mentioned in the context of the history of Israel. The prophets were the mouthpiece of God to his people. They would relay messages. And in all cases, this prophecy that they gave was given by God and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if we look at 2 Peter here, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, in contrast, during the last days, God has spoken through his son. And here's where we start to anchor our time today on Jesus. The son of God not only communicates the message of the father, but is himself the message of the father. All that God has to say to us is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus. So all of his thoughts, all of his gifts, all of his promises are embodied in Jesus. And he is the final and greatest revelation and word from the Father. John 1.14 says, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the means by which God relates personally to his people. And this shows his amazing love for us. He didn't need to talk to us. And we certainly didn't deserve to have the God of the universe talk to us, but he has done it. He didn't just create us and go radio silent. He has spoken to us in many times and in many ways from long ago. Before Jesus, he spoke to his people through the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us finally and definitively in Jesus. Jesus is the final and greatest prophet. The language in scripture actually points to this. Jesus says, you have heard it said, referring to the way in which God spoke through the prophets long ago. But when Jesus talks, he says, he tells his followers, but I say to you, um, it's very personal. And it's also, it has a, a, a meaning of definitiveness and finality in that language. I say to you. Now, God spoke through prophets. Um, as God spoke through prophets, we only get a glimpse of who God is. But Jesus fully reveals who God is to us. And, you know, for illustration, as I was thinking about the difference between speaking through prophets and speaking through Jesus, I couldn't help but recall uh, some long business trips that I used to take for work, and some of them could last up to a week. And uh, while I was on those trips, I certainly missed my family and was, was happy to get a chance to talk to them on the phone at night. But, but talking to them on the phone only made me want to see them in person. And I'm sure you could probably relate when you go on, you know, go long periods of time without seeing loved ones. But walking in the door after a long business trip for me is what it's like to have God speak to us through Jesus. We used to have his words through the prophets, but now we have him, his very words, his very heart in the person of Christ. So for application, um, let's think about the fact that God loves us so much that he speaks with us. He's spoken to us all throughout history, and, and that in and of itself is, is worthy of praise, but often I take that for granted. We have a God that wants a very proactive relationship with us, but it's a two-way street. He has communicated who he is, his desires for this world, how we can honor him, etc. Uh, he's gone to great lengths to make himself known to us. He left the glories of heaven to step down into our world so we could get a perfect view of who he is. And this, friends, this is why Christianity is different. God isn't this far off, distant, impersonal being. He wanted us to know his heart. Um, and we can know that by reading the words that he left for us. And not just reading those words, but reading his words, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in light of the person and work of Christ and in the context of having a very personal relationship with God. And Hebrews is a great example of reading the Old Testament scriptures in light of Christ. And I like this, this verse from, from Jeremiah 29, 13, in, in, in the context of, 
a personal God and having a relationship with me, with him. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God has spoken to us. We need to be active participants in this relationship and engage with the words he lovingly communicated to us. Now, one way to engage with his words is simply to respond. Is there a sin that needs to be confessed? Is there something to praise God for? Something to be thankful for? Some command to follow? And when we do that, friends, we will have a wonder for him that leads to worship. Now, once the author of Hebrews tells us that God has spoken to us through Jesus, we are immediately shown why that's so important as we fixate on the supremacy of Christ. And I love that in verse 2 of Hebrews, the entire letter, the priority is to show an exalted Jesus Christ. So once we see that Jesus is the final word from God, we see that Jesus is the greatest word from God. And so we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 here, which say, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, this is a wonder-filled description of Jesus. God lovingly and proactively made himself fully known to us through him. Jesus has communicated the fullness of God's character to us. In a verse and a half, we see seven facts about Jesus's unique greatness and character. And I love how the author R. Kent Hughes described this. He described these as facets of a great jewel, um, each flashing with gleaming brilliance as light flows through them. So kind of think about a diamond and the different cuts. Um, that's how these are described. We won't have a ton of time to unpack each of these, so I'd really encourage you guys to go back and, and think about these things, ponder these things on your own or in your Bible study groups. And also as we go through these, uh, please be thinking about the question I posed at the beginning. Would your description of Jesus make him look so good to someone that they would immediately want to know more about him? One final important note is the number seven, seven uh, characteristics of Jesus here. The number seven was associated with a complete work of God as demonstrated in the account of creation. Uh, we get a very, very complete picture of the person of Christ from these seven facets. So let's jump in. First, we see Jesus is the heir of all things. So we see a natural flow from Jesus as the son to Jesus as the heir. The word heir suggests both dignity and dominion. And we'll dive into Jesus as the creator here momentarily, but we see throughout scripture that everything was created by him and for him. Even way back in Psalm 2.8, we see this, uh, and it says, 2.7 and 2.8, it says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, this exact verse gets quoted in Hebrews 1.5. So two verses from now, we see this exact verse quoted. So we know it was top of mind for the writer. We also see a lot of parallels between our passage today and Colossians 1. And in Colossians 1 verse 16, it says, All things were created through him and for him. 
So while Jesus' inheritance includes all things visible and invisible, it also includes believers as his redeemed people. So we, as believers, are his inheritance too. And in Ephesians 1, Paul communicates this amazing truth. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance of saints? Paul here is praying that the followers of Jesus would truly understand how valuable they are to Christ as an inheritance. Jesus as heir points forward to the day when Jesus will rule and reign as king of kings over everything for eternity. Next, we see that Jesus is the creator of the world. And the Greek word for world here translates actually to the word ages. So this includes the entire universe of time, matter, and space. The same Jesus that created galaxies and solar systems also created specks of dust and atoms. So Jesus is majestic, yet in the intricate details of our lives. So if we jump back to John 1 and Colossians 1, we see John 1, 3 says, Through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator of all. As the creator and heir of everything, this should produce a daily wonder and a worship for Jesus. Now, next we see that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, the Greek word for radiance here translates to what shines out from a source of light. So that's really important as some translations talk about reflection here. And that's not what that's not what's meant. That is not what is meant by this. Um, The best way to think about this is, is if you think about the sun and the moon. So the moon reflects the sun's light, whereas a sunbeam is actually coming out from or directly from the sun, from the source. So Jesus doesn't simply reflect God's glory, although he does that. He is God's glory. So he is God's glory. If we look back at John 1.14 again, we see this. And it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus shines forth the very character, attributes, and essence of God. Now, next we see that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Now, some translations here say the exact representation of his being. And the Greek word uh, here translates to character. Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. Now, a good way to think about this is to think about a stamp. Uh, when you take the stamper and you stamp a paper, it represents the stamper or the mold perfectly. And that's what Jesus is like to the Father. And Jesus addresses this with his disciples in John 14, verse 9. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So, uh, Here, coupled with Jesus being the radiance of God's glory, we see a really important distinction that's wrapped up in the mystery of the Trinity. The Trinity being the one God eternally existing as three distinct divine persons. 
And as the radiance of God's glory, Jesus is, as I mentioned, part of the source, uh, like a sunbeam coming out of the sun, and one with the Father. So we, we're going to look at John 1, 1 here uh, two times. So it says, first it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's important. That was God, uh, part of that. But as a representation of God, Jesus is the Son of God. He's still fully God, but is distinct from God the Father. Much like the stamper, the stamper is, it isn't the stamp that it produces. Um, I wish you guys could see me right now because I'm doing hand motions. <laughs> if we look at John 1 again, uh, we see this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you see the distinction there. Uh, in Jesus, we see God's exact nature and essence. Uh, he's the perfect representation of God the Father to us. And to think about this, uh, the perfect representation of God, coupled with the fact that he shines forth God's glory, should really give us a daily wonder and a worship for Jesus. So next we see that Jesus upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. And I actually like how the men's study guide puts this. Jesus isn't uh, just upholding all things in the sense that we see Atlas holding up the dead weight of the world. Again, I wish I was on video because I had uh, kind of act this part out. Um, if, you, if you got the picture of Atlas kind of has the, the world on his back, he looks like he's, he's laboring, right? It's, he's really, it's really challenged to sustain the world. But on the contrary, uh, as Jesus upholds or sustains the universe, it's ordered, and he's moving it toward a determined end. I wish you guys could see me, but it's, it's almost like he's effortlessly uh, ushering it through time and space. And um, so he's, he's, it's ordered. He's moving it toward a determined end. He maintains and he carries all things along in the universe. So along with the universe, Jesus is upholding everything in it. So he's upholding this struggling group of his, Hebrew Christian believers, it includes marriages and relationships. It includes our ecosystem. Literally, everything in the universe is held together and sustained by Jesus. And if we jump back to Colossians 1 and verse 17, we see, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So coupled with the fact that Jesus created the world, I can't help but think about, uh, this, was, this was a neat connection I made my friend Harry prayed a prayer the other day, and it made me think about this. It was centered around the phrase that our kids say quite often, and, and probably some of your kids say this, this is the day the Lord has made. Uh, it, it can become a, a fairly rote saying, but if you stop to think about it in the context of our passage today, it's really powerful. Jesus literally created this day. It didn't exist before today, so he had to make it. He also had to sustain the earth and our bodies for us to enjoy this day. And that includes amazing laws of physics and anatomy that are almost impossible to wrap our brains around. So it gave me a whole new context and appreciation for the saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now thinking about Jesus as the creator and sustainer of our days can certainly allow us to rejoice and be glad in it. It should also give us a daily wonder and awe for who he is. Now, next we see Jesus purifies us from our sins. Here we see a theme that weaves its way throughout Hebrews. Jesus, as our great high priest, 
who paid for our sins once and for all. And again, back to Colossians 1, verse 20 this time, and it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, speaking to the Jewish Christian audience here, the author of Hebrews knows they're really familiar with the book of Leviticus that prescribes sacrificial laws and outlines the Day of Atonement. But God has now spoken to us through his son who made a perfect sacrifice on our behalf to cleanse us from our sins. The text here is really easy to gloss over, but the words are profound. And we'll unpack this more as we move through Hebrews. But for now, it's really important for these Christian Hebrews and for us to know that Jesus came in the love of the Father to become our great high priest in order to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Now, finally, we see that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Simply put, Jesus is ruler. And as just mentioned, there's a contrast from the Old Testament about how sins were paid for. We see that here as well. Levitical priests in the Old Testament, they never sat down. They had to continue to stand because no sacrifice was ever complete. The work was never done. But here we see that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, symbolizing that the work was completed and all sin, past, present, and future, was fully and finally paid for. In Jewish culture, sitting at the right hand was a place of honor, privilege, dignity, and power. The writer here is zeroing in on the exaltation of Christ as ruler and authority. And this was prophesied back in Psalm 110. If we look at verse 1 of Psalm 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And I love how Philippians 2 verses 9 and 10 captures a full picture here of Jesus as a powerful ruler. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Final point to make on this is what Jesus is doing while he's at the right hand of the Father. He is at rest in terms of having finished his work of atoning for sin, but he is active in other ways as our high priest and advocate in the presence of God the Father, interceding for us and on our behalf. And and this scene friends, should blow your mind. Um, The creator and the sustainer of the universe is also the one that is praying for you and me right now. Um, So that is a a magnificent picture of love. And I love how Romans 8 uh, says this. It says in verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So friends, in less than a hundred words, we get an amazing picture of who Jesus is at the beginning of Hebrews. All seven of these facets point to the deity and the supremacy of Christ. We also get an amazing picture of God's love for us as he communicates with us through Jesus. Jesus is the final and greatest word from God. He is the heir, creator, and sustainer of all things. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. He has purified our sins and sits with authority at the right hand of God. This isn't the familiar picture of Jesus that we likely have on most days. 
And it probably isn't the picture that we would uh, use to describe to someone that asked us, who is Jesus? So if we come full circle and think back um, to the question at the beginning, this probably isn't how we would describe Jesus to uh, someone that asked us, who is Jesus? This picture of Jesus fills us with awe and wonder and is certainly worthy of exaltation. Um, Amanda and I sat down a couple weeks ago to start our annual inventory. So every year we reflect on the past year, looking at hard things, the praises, parenting. Um, We also look forward to the new year, talking about goals, ministry, how to battle sin, and people. And one of the questions that really gave us pause this year was uh, benign on the surface. Um, It read, list any people that trusted in Jesus this past year and praise God for his work in their life. Um, And in past years, by God's grace, we've been able to write down names, and it's been super exciting and praiseworthy indeed. Uh, But this year, we couldn't think of a single person that we personally knew well that put their faith in in Jesus. And honestly, it was a a bit sad. And, And this certainly isn't an area where we list down goals of we want to see four people come to Christ. We know this is God and God's work here. Um, but still, it was, we, we got to that question, and, and it made us pause. And honestly, uh, we started to think about 2021, knowing that, that God is the ultimate changer of hearts. And we began to think about how he could use us. And that's when we really started to think about this passage that I've talked about today. We couldn't help but think of how people may see Jesus if we described him like the author of Hebrews did. Um, it's captivating in a way that people want to know more. And it also made us, it made us rewind the tape back to the fall of 2007. Um, a friend of ours invited us to church with her, um, and we weren't believers at the time. We, we decided to check it out, but we didn't have any expectations walking in that day. Um, but, but that particular day, a man was, was giving his, his personal testimony to the congregation, and, and we won't ever forget it. Um, just uh, getting a little emotional thinking about it. Um, You see, this man had struggled with uh, same-sex attraction his whole life. Uh, But in his testimony, he would go on to say that that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than his hopes and dreams for companionship, a family, and fleshly desires. And Amanda and I were completely amazed uh, at this man's words. But more importantly, we were captivated by who this Jesus person was. We wanted to know more about him. Uh, If he was better than all those important things to this man, what else was he better than? And that story really helped put us on a path to falling in love with Jesus. So friends, if if we think back to the start of the sermon, describing Jesus like this requires us to fall in love with him every single day. We can't grow comfortable or familiar with him and his glory. He is to be exalted. We have to fight for the supremacy of his name in a culture that is looking to water it down. And that starts in our own hearts and then radiates out to the rest of the world, our families, our friends, our communities, and the nations. It starts with having fresh eyes for who he is and what he has done. It starts with a wonder, an awe, a love for, and an exalted view of Jesus Christ. And that is what leads us to worship. Um, so, friends, for, for application, these, uh, these passages are going to pop up on the screen. But if you could just jot these down, um, today's passage, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Colossians 1, 
15 through 20 and John 1, 1 through 5. Just jot, jot, these, jot these down, make a mental note. Before your daily scripture reading or devotional, read these verses about Jesus. Um, my prayer is that they will not only give you a daily wonder and love for him, but also, as Hebrews 10.25 says, encourage us all the more as we see the day of his return drawing near. Also, if you're not, please be sure to jump into the Hebrew Bible studies. It's so important to be in God's word together as a community. Um, I'll leave you guys with this. I had a former pastor give me a very thought-provoking description of how our relationship with Jesus tends to look. He said, to think back to the first time that you saw the mountains. And we're not talking about Mount Bunnell here, although Mount Bunnell is, is awesome too. But this is the first time you're driving up into the Rocky Mountains or another mountain range that simply takes your breath away. You can't even put into words what you're seeing. The beauty, the majesty, the massiveness, the awe, the wonder, they're almost indescribable. You simply can't believe that God made something so amazing. But my pastor went on to say, now imagine that you live in a town in the mountains and you get to see them every day out your window. Do you think over time those adjectives or descriptions of the mountains would fade? And of course the answer is yes. He said, well, that's how our relationship with Jesus tends to go. If we don't have a daily awe and wonder for who he is and what he's done for us, how can we glorify and worship him in a way that he deserves or describe him in a way that captivates other people to want to know more about him? Now, I was reminded earlier this week of the contrast of the post-Christian culture that we're living in and the celebration of the epiphany that just happened on January the 6th. Every year, 12 days after Christmas, there's a celebration of the wise men visiting baby Jesus. And if you remember, when they arrive, they immediately fall down and worship this child of peasants because they realize who he truly is and what he represents to the world. Friends, we can never be too familiar with Jesus. We need a daily awe and wonder of him that builds our faith and helps us share it with others. And my prayer is that God would give us fresh eyes for the gospel, the good news about the person and work of Christ, that we would all fall in love with Jesus on a daily basis and be able to describe him like the author of Hebrews does in this passage, just like when we first saw the mountains. Next week, friends, uh, excited, John Servick uh, is going to be with us to walk us through more of Hebrews 1 focusing specifically on exalting Jesus above angels, which were highly exalted among the Hebrews. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, so let me pray for us, and then I'll kick it back over to the Logreens.